0: This episode of Bass Streaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players of Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should. With deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales. So go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. All right, what's up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. The Bass Freaks podcast is a place to gain some insight and inspiration, as well as learn a little something about some truly great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and our guest on this episode of the Bass Freaks podcast is a very, very, very well-known bassist. I actually recently read that he is one of the most recorded bass players in the history of music with more than 2,000 recordings. He's recorded... Performed cover songs with performers such as Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Phil Collins, Stevie Wonder, Herbie Hancock, Daft Punk. By the way, that was amazing. Uh, and he is a founding member of the group Foreplay. Mr. Nathan East, welcome to the show. We really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks so much. It's good to be here. I I uh, hope I'm worthy of uh being on the show with all the other freaks. <laughs> oh <come on. laughs> you are you
0: are the freak. <laughs> I've been
1: yeah, I've been called uh I've been called that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess we all have at some point. You know, if, I was uh I was just thinking at some point I'm gonna try to actually try to get, you know, like how many songs actually, because I mean it's it's in the thousands. I mean, over forty years of recording. I was gonna say,
0: do you have an actual number?
1: I don't I don't have an actual number, but it's just uh I mean if you figure every decade though that goes by and especially like starting from the eighties, like I was running to the studio literally, um and, and there were like hundreds of studios in LA at the time. And and I can remember, you know, doing like twenty, thirty dates a week, just running from one studio to the next, you know.
0: I imagine then it's probably more a lot more than 2000 that's a that's quite a career
1: (laughs) no it's it's good fun and and uh you know not only have i enjoyed every minute but i still to this day you know kind of uh you know feel very grateful that you know something that i love so much is is actually my is is my my living sort of my my life (laughs) you know so so I, i i consider myself very fortunate
0: yes sir yes sir um well let's talk about how you got interested in the bass. I mean, could you from when you first picked up a bass was there a moment where you are like can you foresee that the su- success that you've had thus far?
1: Well, you know, you, you don't really have a crystal ball, but all I know is that the uh, you know, I was I was in a church one day, and my brothers were were playing and there was a bass sitting on the altar, you know. We they used to do music for the folk mass. Uh, down at a church called Christ the King in San Diego. And, and I'll never forget like this, it was, I think it was a Gibson EBO, little red one. And it was on the stand. Nobody was playing it. I said, Hey, is this anybody's? And nobody spoke up for it. And I said, you think it'd be cool to try it? Yeah. And as soon as I picked it up, it just felt like, um, wait a minute, something very special. How old were you at the time? And I was, uh, I was 14. Okay. So relatively, you know, and I, I had played the cello uh, for a few years in in my high school orchestra, but um, the bass just—I mean—as soon as I held it in my hands, I'm just like, man, this is this is pretty special.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So from then, uh, when did you start? I mean, what was your first session or what was your first uh, pro gig?
1: Well, well, at that point. My my brother David was playing in the uh, stage band at uh, in high school, and I used to stand outside the door and just listen to those, to those guys, you know. And then, but my ear would just go to the bass, you know. And my my buddy Gunner Biggs, he was he was pretty much a mentor uh, in the early days. He he gave me a, a beautiful, uh, he gave me an upright and a, and a beautiful Fender jazz bass, and um, so. Um, I'd stand outside the door and just listen to those low notes and just say, oh man, you know, and, and so when I got to high school, I, I tried to, I joined the stage, band. I tried to join every band I could, you know, and uh, we had a local band um, called power that was uh, getting a lot of gigs around town. And, uh, you know, so from there we met Barry white, he hired our band, um, Ooh. And uh, when he heard us, he he said, "Okay, I want you guys to come tour with me."
0: <laughs> amazing.
1: How <laughs> yeah. how was working with Barry? And working with Barry was amazing. He, you know, he would um, he'd come up with these bass lines, and he he actually, you know, goes into the studio and just gives everybody their parts. And uh, when I first started recording with him, you know, all the guys would be in the sessions: Ray Parker Jr., wow. Lee Rittenour, um you wah-wah and you'd sit down and he would walk over to each musician and just, just sing a part to him. Okay. And, uh, there was, I uh, never seen anything like it. Next thing you know, you know, you got this, this infectious groove and, and, uh, and then you got a hit records playing, playing on the radio. So, uh, he, he was early days. He was a, he was a, a, a good guy to work with. And then, um, you know, I started getting calls from, uh, Quincy Jones and, and, um, to, to do some recording. And then I got called for live work. Uh, Kenny Loggins called me out to row, um, Joe sample, Patrice Russian, you know, uh, you know, so the call started coming in. So I'm just going, listen, let it keep going. I love this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was there a, was there one gig in particular that, that you think really led and opened up the door or blasted open the door for you for your career?
1: You know, it, it, the music business is, is sort of a business of stepping stones, you know? So like one thing leads to another. And and when you think about it, it was a pretty small, I mean, it's a big town, but it was a small kind of clique of people doing a lot of the work back then. And um, those Barry White sessions were pretty um, influential. And, and Gene Page was the arranger uh, for those. And if, if Gene liked you, you were working every day, you know? Uh, cause he was arranging, he was doing everything. So he's doing the Jacksons and Elton John and, and Dion Warwick, I'll never forget. And so he, um, you know, he took a liking to me and started calling me for everything. So that, that was pretty much a, a catalyst for a lot of session work.
0: You prefer sessions or live touring or.
1: You know, any, anything that I could just pluck on those strings, <laughs> whether okay. it's in the studio or in front of people. And then both, both, it's funny. Cause, uh, over the years the balance between the two has been absolutely perfect you know so you don't really get burned out on one or the other right and uh, you know when i'm when i'm home you know i'm thinking about oh now i missed a little bit of tour and then I, i'll go out hitting. And the same when i'm out there i miss you know the camaraderie and what happens in the studio so it's uh, it's been a pretty good balance
0: amazing amazing what's yeah. uh what's been your most challenging gig so far
1: okay there's been a couple um er, early on i got a call from wayne shorter to do an album called joyrider and um that was a that was a knuckle buster <laughs> it was uh-huh. like because the, the tunes that he writes are very very kind of wayness wayne-esque and um so the, the lines don't fit exactly underneath your fingers and it so it took a little bit of a uh, of shedding just to make it sound played in and and um, but it was it's a fun album and uh, and then you know more recent days I got a a call from Chick Korea to uh, sub for John Patitucci in the Electric Band oh wow uh, and um, that I have to say was that that's the one gig I think that, <laughs> that kept me on my toes the most because you know playing these dudes got a match and all those with with those guys and they've been together for forty years so. Wow. It, the seat was pretty hot. <laughs> are uh, you, I, are, I
0: are you reading shed. all this
1: stuff when you go out um, for gigs like Chick, that? Chick sent me the charts to all the songs. And um, I I try not to, I don't like to have my head in a book doing a live gig, you know? Mm-hmm. So I try to get as much committed to memory as possible. But those, those tunes, like where every, every time the section comes around, it's different. <laughs> right? right. So, but uh, I, I, i uh I really shed it and and I was able to sort of go off book and um you know uh, get through those tunes
0: right what uh impact do you think um having the ability to read has had on your career?
1: well, no doubt that reading you know especially when you're running in doing uh, t v film movie dates um jingles where uh, there's a lot of notes on the page. If you want to, if you want to access that, that level of work, you, you gotta, you gotta have your eyes together. Right. And, um and Gene Page, again, great arranger used to, used to write a lot of bass notes. And, um, so I was, you know, I was thankful I could get, get through those charts.
0: Awesome. Have you ever had a gig fail and how did you survive it?
1: <laughs> you know, I've been very fortunate. And um, most of the time, it's just been on the up and up. Um, I do remember one time um, that them asking me to replace the James Jamerson part, and I had to turn that down because he's he's my hero, you know. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, I can, as, I can as as of all the people. No, I cannot replace the James Jamerson part. You
0: know. Have you had a sort of favorite? Um, record that you've played on is there a performance that you just look back on and just think oh this one I'm proud of this
1: <laughs> you know what there there are a few that um I mean the the first thing is every time I listen back I always hear stuff that oh man I would if I was <laughs> to do it again today I, this is what I, I would have done you know? I get that I get that and, and uh I guess you're always kind of you know trying to take it to the next level but um yeah, I'm very proud of a lot of the records we did with Anita Baker. Yeah, she's, you know, her her music is very uh, uh, performance oriented. So, in the in a way, when you're recording, we're we're actually performing and and not just making a record, you know. I and mean, you could hear in in the in some of the tracks where it sounds like a, a band is actually interacting, and um, those are fun. The, the Four Play records, very proud of. Um, you know, getting to make music with those guys at the highest level—Bob um, James and and Harvey Mason, Lee Rittenour, Larry Carlton, Chuck Loeb. Later, I mean, we're talking about like musicians that I have revered all my life. You know, yeah. so like to be in a band, true, us, huh? but, yeah, to be in a band was, was just amazing with those guys. And uh, and then you know, the stuff that we did—you um, know, all the Clapton stuff, uh, Phil Collins. You know, easy lover and all those tunes. yeah, were, uh, proud of the way those came out. Um and uh, and you know, even even get lucky with Daft Punk was, was a fun Man. you know, when when the record comes on, I, I say, okay, I think we did all right.
0: <laughs> I, I play along to that tune and that line all the time, and right? I'm still trying to perfect the line, but you know, I look on Instagram too, and there's so many people doing the same,
1: oh, same that's thing, funny.
0: vibing out to that. So cheers to you on that one. That's such a oh, great no, line.
1: Yeah, they they uh, they, it was a it was a fun record, and you know, again, you you go in the studio, and little do you know that uh, you know something may blow up like that all around the globe, you
0: know. Right, it's so huge. How oh, did that man, session it, go? Give me a little, give me a little taste of what the uh that record
1: yeah, the, was like. You know, the guys are very very interested in kind of going retro and back to the. They they were looking back more toward the the late seventies, you know, and uh, nice. and you know, like she cut that real tight sound with Nile Rogers. So then they they kind of list, listened to a lot of those records, and they just cut they uh, you know enlisted Nile and and uh, a few of us, and and it was just fun because they they had all these old rolling synths and and um, and they were actually recording onto tape. They had um, a two inch tape rolling. Uh, Along with Pro Tools, and um, and and then uh, some digital tape machines, so they had like three formats of of recording, just to really get this kind. And when you listen to the record, this sonically, it's just it's really, really up there. And uh, I think they mastered it like fifty times or something. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so they're very, very, uh, very, very, uh, you know. Picky about the sound and, and the feel. What did
0: you use? What kind of bass did you use on there?
1: And I used my Yamaha. I have a bass that um, it ended up being sort of a prototype to my signature early on, and the, the the name on the bass, which is which is almost rubbed off now, is called the Motion LB. I think LB stands for low bass.
0: Okay. And
1: um, so that, in conjunction with, I have this little uh, NE one. Uh, equalizer box that I plug it into that this just, just uh, we call it the magic box because as soon as you plug in it just makes it sound great, you know, full. Wow. So that's that's been my um my go-to bass for a lot of these records. Okay the Yamaha five string. Very cool. Yeah, yeah you have a
0: lot of great basses, including the signature bases. How do you typically decide what bass goes on in the session?
1: Yeah, I mean um a lot of times I'll listen and, um, you know, just you make a decision sometimes it calls for fretless, sometimes it's upright, and uh it's all it's all sort of casting, you know i'll i'll uh I'll just listen to the song "Tears in Heaven." we recorded that, and that the fretless immediately came to mind as as uh, something I th- think could be very expressive for a song like that, you know um and then um you know, with Anita Baker, I just I I go for that big round fat five string sound you know uh warm warm fuzzy tone you yeah. know um the song like footloose for Kenny Loggins that was my uh I think it was the BB 3000 five string again Yamaha um very punchy uh uh not an active bass but uh just sounds good plug plug and play nice yeah
0: that's awesome. So you've had a relationship with Yamaha for quite a while now,
1: man. It's uh, let's see, forty-two years I've been <laughs> playing their oh, bases. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. What was, what uh, drew you to to Yamaha bases initially?
1: You know, I was I was visiting a session. Uh, it was a Dave Groover session. Lee Rittenauer's on, and Dave, Abraham LeBouriel. You know, my my mentor <laughs> was on the on the session. It was, I'll never forget. It, it was at A and M, and of course his playing is just um, so infectious. You know, and and he, it's all on the fingers. But I just you know ran in there. What bass is that you're playing? And it was a Yamaha bass. Um, and he gave me. We were getting ready to go to Japan with with Rittenhour and, and uh, Abraham gave me the name of uh, their uh, artist relations guy Hagi. He was he was the he was the hookup. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I contacted Hagi. He brought one by uh, to the club where we were playing. And, and I said, Hagi, you're not going home with this bass. <laughs> <I am. laughs> oh, it was beautiful bass. And, then, you know, I just I, I fell in love with him and I, I've been playing him ever since.
0: Nice. I actually have one of your signature basses. Oh, you're kidding. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you're the one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that bass. I love that. Thanks. Very cool. You know, I I wanted to design a, something that would be like the Swiss army of, of bass, Swiss army knife of bases, you know, where you could, you could play in the studio, you could play live and, and it would kind of cover, uh, different genres too. So a lot of times, you know, if I'm playing jazz or, uh, I need that more pointed jaco sound, I could kind of adjust more back pickup and it, um, and then if I need the big round full, sound I can have both of them in and then I have Lily Q on there too so it, it yeah. ends up being uh, my, my go-to bass you know
0: very versatile
1: awesome yeah yeah um, so thank you for getting that
0: <laughs> oh yeah no I love that bass it's very cool um, and uh, I, I gotta say that I, I am such a fan of yours that was why I
1: I think oh, thank you w- when I got
0: one I, I was probably in my early 20s maybe and it's such okay, a, so cool, such a great wow. Bass. So, why the six string bass?
1: And then, so the six string. You know, when I in my early early days, they used to have to kind of uh, keep me down on the on the low end because um, I was trying to be George Benson of the bass. You know? and so, <laughs> so I, I just love uh, I just love you know the bil- the ability to be expressive on the, on the higher notes. So, I think with the six string. You know, it's the best of all worlds. I get the high range, I get the lower range, and, and then the meat in the middle is just you know, uh, meat and potatoes. You know, right. so uh, uh yeah, I, I love I love the six string.
0: Awesome. Um, how much uh, how much influence do you think you have, or do you have? Not do you think you have? Do you have in the final bass parts when you do records?
1: Oh yeah, I mean. Those are I think when, when someone calls you, they're they're putting the, the responsibility um on you. And especially I mean there's so many different types of producers. Some producers um they don't know a thing about music, but they know how to cast and put people together. And uh, you know, so we we call those guys the phone book producers. <laughs> ah. You know, where, where they they say, I know if we get, you know, Nate and Jeff Picard and Luke Thur and, and Billy Gaines or Paige on the session, you know, you're gonna, it's gonna be all right, you know. So they don't have to really tell you that much. And then and then you have the Quincy Joneses of the world that they could tell you exactly what to play. Um, and but he he does he gets those same guys and uh and a lot of times he he doesn't have to say. And, and that's the fun thing about music too, if you don't have to really explain to somebody what to uh play Mm -hmm. uh you're already ahead of the game you know and Mm -hmm. and a lot of times when we get called they're they're depending on us to um even in some cases to bail them out (laughs) you know Uh. (laughs) for and uh you know sometimes you have a song that's not really strong but if you get the right players they can you know they can uh, make it make it a little better
0: you have a group of guys that you uh enjoy the most going in to do these sessions with?
1: You know, I was just in um over the weekend with with uh Steve Ferroni, Jeff Babco, Greg games, and my son Noah. Noah awesome. East <laughs> playing awesome. playing organ. And I tell you what, it's it's hard to imagine having more fun <laughs> in the studio playing. Um and and it's been, you know, all of us have been playing together for for many years. Greg, Steve, and I. Um, played in the Clapton band for many years together. Um, uh, back in the day, if if you walked in and saw Jeff Picaro on drums, uh, we'd start laughing because we knew it would be a good day, you know? <laughs> and uh, so there, there are several drummers, Vinnie Cagliuta and um, Don Robinson, Harvey Mason, uh, the late, great Ricky Lawson, um, who, uh, who I just, you know, enjoyed going into the studio with again, and funny enough, uh, Phil Collins is one of my favorite drummers to play with. Oh wow! Yeah, we we have a good time. I love his approach and his his uh, his time, and and I mean he he's one of the greatest drummers.
0: Is he still able to play? I didn't. I thought I heard something. He's having some health issues or something.
1: Yeah, I think uh, due to some health issues, he and uh, fortunately, his son Nick Collins is a fantastic drummer. So he's he's ended up. Jumping into the uh jump drum chair uh with genesis and and oh, wow. uh, okay and yeah really really great so so it's in the jeans yeah and uh I guess
0: so let's talk about <laughs> your son as a he's a very talented keyboardist um how did you encourage him um as a musician
1: yeah, you know, noah took piano lessons and uh so he um at at the early age of uh about five years old i discovered he had perfect pitch you know i would i would play a note on the on the bass and say hey play the note daddy's playing and he wouldn't fumble he would just i'd play a d and he'd go over and hit a d on the piano and if i did you know three notes he'd hit the three notes and i'm wow. going wait a second you know and uh so the uh, incredible ears you know um he used to listen to records and they back in the day when they used to vso and just speed him up a little bit and we'd be in the car and he say, daddy this this record's a little bit higher than the key. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And uh, So like an incredible set of ears. And then, um, he, uh, you know, some of the pieces that he would bring home, I'd I'd say, man, beautiful arrangement of over the rainbow. One of the, one of the songs, uh, we did a do duet of that on my first album. And, um, I was, I was showing it to, uh, my producer, Chris Giro. And then he said, come on, let's record it. You know, and, uh, and then so we we've done duos on both my albums, and uh, we're going to do a duo record because uh, first of all, it's just so much fun playing together.
0: Yeah, it has to be an amazing bonding experience.
1: Oh man, it's it's incredible. And he and he uh, he asked me at one point, and he really loves the Hammond organ. So at one point, he said, "If I had a Hammond organ, you wouldn't ever have to get me anything else <laughs> for the rest of my life." <laughs> and I thought, okay, let's get him a Hammond organ. So we. We, uh, we found one in a church, um, and, um, he, he absolutely loves playing it, and, and is listening to all the right guys and, and, uh, coming up with the goods.
0: Nice. How old is he?
1: And he's 22 now just okay. graduated from uh, UC Berkeley, uh, Haas school of business. So he's, he's got his degree in his hand and he's ready to go. He's <laughs> ready. He's That's ready. beautiful.
0: That is beautiful.
1: Yeah. It's really fun.
0: Um, well, let's go back to gear for a second. Um, uh, as far as amps and preamps, and what do you what do you like to use, either live or in the studio or both? Or
1: yeah, you know, um, in the studio, I, I do like to go direct. We we bring an app and and some engineers like to mic the amp, and then they they have two or three different signal paths paths for the bass. Um, and um, in, in that case, you know. Back in the day, it was the B15. The Ampeg B15 was the was the bass amp of choice, you know. And um, but over the years, I've 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 used different amps. I I got with TC Electronic um, and played those for about ten years. I got with uh, Aguilar and played those for about ten years. Really great. And um, and recently, the guys from Laney um, came over. uh, I was in England, and they they stopped by with a bunch of amps to try out. and they really make a musical lamp. I, I think um, I think it's a family-owned business where everybody plays bass, <laughs> and um, and um, so the uh, Laney Digbeth was the one that they they brought by. and We tried it out on the gig, and I said, "Guys, guess what? <laughs> We're family now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome. So and then, and the and the thing about it is, is it's just a really when I'm playing through that amp, it just is a very musical. Um, sounding app you know it's it's uh it seems to fit in with with the music really really uh nicely
0: okay are you using those on sessions as well or mostly for
1: yeah mostly live live, but uh yeah yeah, now now they're incorporated in my rig now coming Mm. coming to the studio um and so with that and you know i I don't go crazy with the gear I, i love i love my jim dunlap strings and uh you know they never disappoint and, um, on live or in studio. And then basically I'm using the, um, um, I have these signature in-ears, um, made by 64 audio called the Nates. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, uh, what's, what's different about them? And they, uh, I remember trying them out and trying their in-ears out at the NAM show. And, and then, uh, you know, we spent about a year or so designing some, cause every time I have in-ears on some of the gigs, the bass and the drums, just don't translate. They sound a little bit thin and small through the in-ears. So, um, you know, these signature ones have nine drivers in them. Um, and a lot of people in the gospel community are using them. And I think Shaka Khan and her, her whole band uses them. Okay. Um, but they, with, with all those drivers, um, it, it gives me that full round sound, you know, when you're, uh, when you're using the in-ears.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. Um, is there anyone who you haven't worked with uh, that you'd like to You played. You played with the greats legends, but is there anyone that you haven't worked with that you'd like to,
1: you know, the, 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 uh, and I, and I was, again, you know, after being around 40 years, you know, you, a lot of you, you the people that you dream of working with, you know, I, I've, I've hit, you know, and, and one night we did a, a tribute to Sammy Davis Jr. It, it was his 60th birthday celebration. And in one night, the artists were Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, <laughs> Sammy Davis. I mean, it was like- One night. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> like, like the resume in one night just went- <laughs> just Oh doubled. my goodness. Oh and my um gosh. But I, um, I missed the opportunity and and he was on my hit list to work with Prince. You know, they, like that, 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 was, uh, he was on my bucket list and Miles Davis would have been as well, you know, uh, Marcus, of course, did such a great job with him. And, uh, you know, uh, Pat Matheny is, is one person that, that I've, I've always thought, you know, that'd be fun to work, do something with Pat.
0: That would be amazing. Yeah. That'd be so great to hear you guys and see you guys together. Yes, oh, still, so, still uh, on my list. <laughs> that one night with with Michael Jackson and and Frank Sinatra and who else did you say?
1: Uh, Stevie Wonder. Ste- oh my gosh, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> so <laughs> how
0: how did your? I'm just curious. How did your approach change to each song or each set?
1: Well, again, you know, you had across the spectrum, and you had a big band, and uh-huh. and. You know, Harvey Mason was playing drums. I mean, that, that's what we, in those situations, that's what we get called to do is, is to be that person that can cover those genres, you know, so whether you have to go jump on the upright or, or uh, do some swinging, mm-hmm. you know, or or more funky uh, or Stevie. And, and I think from being such a fan of, of so many artists, um, it really helps us, you know, kind of get inside of their mind, To know what they want i mean stevie wonder is one of the greatest bass players (laughs) so yeah growing up i always kind of mugged those bass lines from his you know his records of course i listened to uh, nate watts what he used to do on those records and and so being a being a fan really helps because then you can just you know you can add a little extra uh bling only because you're so familiar with the artist
0: right i was gonna say are you adding a little bit of yourself into those are you trying to stay as true as you possibly can to the records
1: yeah a, a little bit of both i i try to uh, sometimes I, I have fun trying to be the invisible man you know i play a little game it's just like hey what can i play i want it to be exactly right for the tune um and i don't have to necessarily sign my name to this you know but but uh it, it, that's, that's what I love about music, you know, and when you think about, uh, you know, 40 years, all the genres, all the songs, um, I, I feel like it's just so much fun to um, have different approaches available to you and different, you know, some, sometimes, like I was saying, you know, you, you want that real point, like a Jocko uh, type of sound where it's just nice and punchy and, and uh, tight. You know, and then other times you you want to cross like a cross between an upright and an electric, and then sometimes you want that fretless where you're slipping and sliding around, and um, so uh, I enjoy it all.
0: What uh, what ingredients do you think go into to making a good bass tone?
1: And as far as the tone is concerned, I, I like you know I use a, a a combination of a little tiny bit of fena- uh, fingernail for the attack. And then most of the the flesh in, in the tone. And then, you know, obviously, um, if you're going to pick closer to the to the neck, you're going to get that nice warm um, tone for ballads. And and then, you know, closer to the um, you know above the pickups or closer to the bridge for those tight, you know, real tight percussive sounds. You know, so I mean, again, I'm always kind of working on my tone and. And even even when when I'm playing live, you know, you'll see me just like tweaking a little bit, adding or taking away a little bit of top or bottom. Got it. Yeah. Very important.
0: Yes, sir. What uh, what do you think? What is your favorite thing that you played on that people may not know that
1: you played on? Oh, wow. That's a pretty good question. Let me see. I mean, uh, it's there, there are a lot of there are a lot of albums um, in the you know in the works with a lot of people sometimes they come up and say oh, i didn't know you played on through the fire through the fire shaka khan um and uh you know change the world is is another one i enjoyed playing on and and um you know of course you know it's funny too because a lot of songs i've had i've been on at least you know two or three Uh, records of the year, you know, that the song was record of the footloose, I think was record of the year. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. uh, Change the world. I think tears in heaven, uh, get lucky, you know, so that's, that's always like a good indicator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure.
1: (laughs) Um, Who are you liking now? Next generation of players. Oh man. Now there's, there's a lot, you know, and, and, uh, Thundercat, you know, he's, he's killing it. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, there's some youngsters, Justin Lee Schultz, you know, these guys are just, you know, now I, I scroll through Instagram and I, I just get my feelings hurt <laughs> because <laughs> cause there's just a lot of great players. Of course, Bronza. you know, she's, she's just wonderful. Um, and, um, it's, it's just fun. There's a lot of, lot of guys coming up that are, uh, that are just doing their home in mono neon <laughs> absolutely and, uh, there's this guy named daryl anders he's uh he's really great
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty good he's
1: pretty good <laughs> yeah. no yeah. i remember he came to one of my rehearsals picked up my bass scared me to death oh, i almost oh. lost the gig Uh Uh oh. oh. no wonderful wonderful player and and guy i mean, I, I like uh i like it when when not only they're great players but they're great guys too that's cool you know like like marcus miller he's a, he's a great guy the other night he was uh, in uh zurich switzerland playing and a friend of mine that lives in zurich you know called me oh can you get me tickets for marcus i said oh, i don't know um but but i'll check and i i emailed him and then you know not too much longer later the phone rings and there's marcus hey what's going on what can i do you know and he, he was just so cool and i'm thinking man He's on the road and working the band, but he had time to call and he said, what do you need? You know? So great. Yeah.
0: How do you think the session world has changed in the recent <laughs> world, recent years? Oh, man.
1: Um, you know, the, the actual session world, the biggest change is just that it's diminished so much. Um, there used to be, you know, where there used to be hundreds of studios. Now there's only a handful. Um and, and, you know, most people are, are recording onto their laptop in their bedrooms. Um, but, um, the volume of work, um, from days gone past, is as you know, you ask any other guys that used to do a bunch of dates and, um, I think they'll all concur that, you know, it's just a lot of it has gone away just due to the, uh, nature of, of the business now. Um, and, and the other thing is, I just think, um, you know, the record business where, where CDs now are, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't even think you could play a CD in a car. <laughs> that, yeah. You know, I don't
0: have a CD player. That's right. Which is, right. which
1: is sad to me. And, uh, and, you know, so CDs were a big part of, you know, everybody was in making CDs and now, um, that, that business has gone away. And, um, you used to make, you, you used to go out and tour and, um, to promote your new CD, you'd play the new songs. And now you kind of make a CD to, to promote a tour, you know, and I think touring has been um, the way that a lot of people now have, have realized um, the uh, revenue stream.
0: Right. So uh, about touring, I know the pandemic has affected, you know, that tremendously for, for all of us. How did you stay busy yeah. during that time?
1: Yeah, fortunately, I mean, by having my own studio, um, uh, I was able to stay busy. People were sending me tracks. I remember uh, a couple of soundtracks of the movie Paw Patrol. I think they sent me like a, uh, uh, you know, 60, 100 tracks <laughs> to, to put bass on. You know, so oh, that, wow. awesome. that I can remember, you know, being in there till four in the morning, just just grinding away, you know, getting these cues done, you know, and um, but that that was away for me you know people would send tracks from all over the world and uh for me to record so thankfully i had my own studio um but I, it was a it was a little bit of a i was a little nervous because i had some pretty uh substantial touring booked uh in 2020 um that was you know gonna gonna take care of me for the year yeah and then slowly but surely you know dates started being canceled and, and uh you know c- the combination of my solo dates and some touring that I had uh, pretty soon, they just all went away. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that. I feel. Oh no. But, but uh, you know, for me, the, the, uh, the hidden blessing was uh, getting to spend that all the time with my family, all that quality time um, that I would never have had, had it not been for the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. I feel the exact same way.
1: Yeah. Sort of a double-edged sword, I guess. It, it is. I mean, in a way, I was going. Wow, oh God, you you made this pandemic so I could be home <laughs> with, yeah. with my peeps, you know. And uh, it was it was really, really the, uh, you know. Matter of fact, I got so used to that, I was going. You know what? I'm I'm loving this, you know, because right. I I keep a suitcase packed, you know, and <laughs> just in case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it stays pretty busy. So sometimes it's it's almost a joke, like just home in time to take take the clothes out, uh, uh, you know, run the, run them through the laundry and, oh, <laughs> and put it back in the suitcase.
0: <laughs> so is touring coming back pretty strong for you.
1: So now it's coming back pretty strong. I mean, we, we just did, uh, we just did Europe in the U S with uh, with Eric Clapton. Um, this, uh, matter of fact, this coming week, I'm going to, uh, do vet aid with, um, Joe Walsh over in oh, Columbus. Cool. Ohio. Yeah. So that'll be cool. And, um, and they've also asked me to produce the music for the National Christmas Tree Lighting Ceremony at the White House. So, wow, that, what an yeah, honor. So, That's great. Yeah, a high honor, so looking forward to that. And Have you done anything like that before? I played the uh, National Christmas Tree Lighting um, in 2016. It was the uh, final year that Barack Obama did, it, and James Taylor and a bunch of great artists did it. So uh, we had a good time, and it's always an honor to, to be there, uh, at the White House, regardless of uh, of who's inside. <laughs>
0: right, right. <laughs> awesome. Well, do you have any uh, last minute advice for for our listeners out there?
1: You know, all, all I say is listen to as much music as possible, and and you know, for me, I just do it because it's so much fun and I love it. You know, and, and I don't I don't do it thinking about you know I, I never. I never like got into music for the money or for or it's just because I love playing so much you know and um and then you know I always say just listen as, as much as possible i have a, an online course through artistworks.com um a little school of bass where where uh, you know i teach online and um i i always enjoy hearing what uh what the new bass players are coming up with
0: Okay. What's the link for that?
1: Is there a Yeah, it's uh you could either <coughs> excuse me, you could either get through it through artistworks.com or uh NathanEastbase dot com.
0: Awesome. Everybody check that out. Man, we really appreciate you. Um do you have anything coming up that you're really excited about aside from the, the things you just mentioned?
1: Yeah, and then uh the, most excited about uh recording an album with with my son Noah that's uh yeah that's yes. something in all these years that that i haven't done and uh uh you know he's turned into my favorite musician and i just i just love playing with him so much so really looking forward to uh doing a uh, a duo album with him when are you gonna do that and uh we're as we speak well, okay okay <laughs> yeah
0: awesome i cannot yeah. wait to hear
1: oh thank you yeah no it's just it's just so much fun and uh he He really he really gets the fact that just he he just comes up with music, you know. and uh, a lot of times, you know they've asked me to to judge some of these battle of the bass player <laughs> contests <laughs> or whatever. but uh, you know it's it's not about speed or or you know how fast or these you know, some of these guys come in with these these licks that are just so amazing, you know, like I could never play. But, but really I try to emphasize like pick up the bass get a good tone you know before you start slapping <laughs> slapping away you know get find a tone and find a, uh, a, a nice volume that fits in with the with the band or whoever you're playing with and then uh, just concentrate on making every note count and every note means something very special and um, I think that that's that's one of the keys to to being a, um, a, a good player and in demand
0: absolutely well Nathan thank you so much for doing this we really appreciate your time
1: oh uh, well I appreciate you guys and uh, you know the we're, we're all in this together so um, you know let's let's keep doing it
0: yeah man thank you for listening into the Bass freaks podcast stay healthy spread love spread joy and kindness good vibes and inspiration and remember you got this follow your path whatever it may be and just play Until next time, cheers. And a huge thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. Make sure you check out Bass Freaks Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.